Well, again, good morning. Good morning. Welcome, whether you're joining us here online. My name is George Davis. Thanks for being a part of our service on this beautiful Sunday morning here in Hershey. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We'll get there in a moment. I just also particularly want to remind those of you who are members just to keep you informed of the fact that uh, we've got a congregational meeting coming up next month where we will uh, be voting on a motion, a recommendation from our elder team that we sell the piece of property that we own on 743. So that is coming up uh, next month. But there, today there is a Q&A right after this service in the core cafe. So if you would like to be a part of that, you've got questions, we'll have several of our elders available down there for that. So if you'd like to be part of that conversation, just drop by the core cafe after this service. Now you may have noticed a few moments ago that you heard prayers offered in other languages. Did you notice that? And, uh, and one of the reasons we did that, I think it was just a healthy reminder to, to remember that as a church family, a church community, we've got people from all sorts of backgrounds that are part of Hershey Free, which I think is just really exciting uh, part of our church dynamic. But there was another reason we wanted to do that this morning, and that is this. As we continue our journey through the book of Acts, we're coming to a very famous scene that actually involves multiple languages. And that is the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So again, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me as we jump right in. And I I do want to acknowledge right up front that this this scene in the storyline of Scripture raises a lot of questions. I mean, if we're honest and really start to pay attention to the details, this is one of maybe the most surprising stories in the Bible. I think for some of us, you may walk away even going, that's just a weird story. So let's just acknowledge that up front as we dive in. And here's how Acts chapter 2 begins. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And that's the, these, the, you know, this early group of people that had been around Jesus. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now, as we, begin, as we begin looking at this, let me, let me just point out a couple of details. Notice, first of all, that this, this event takes place on Pentecost, which was one of the kind of the three great pilgrimage feasts in the, allender, in the annual Jewish calendar. This would have been one of those times when people from all over the Mediterranean world would have come to Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been filled with pilgrims from different backgrounds, different parts of uh, the world that had come for this Jewish celebration. So notice that, also notice that the, 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 these early followers of Jesus, they, they were together. Remember, Jesus had told them to wait for the coming of the Spirit. And so that's exactly what was happening. And then as they waited, 
Luke says there was this sound, and I almost wonder if he's struggling for words here, struggling to really describe exactly what happened. It's just hard to put into words. He says, you know, they, they, were, they were in this home, and, and the, the house is filled with the sound of a rushing wind. And then they see what he says they look like. And again, I'm wondering if he's struggling in, in, in exactly how to describe this, but they look like tongues of fire that begin dispersing across all the people that are gathered there. And then... Then we're in essence told that this, this scene moves into the public arena because these people began speaking in other languages and, and that leads to confusion and bewilderment because remember all these people had gathered from parts of the world and now they are hearing the message of Jesus communicated in the language from which they are from. Now as I said... Uh, you know, when we, many of us are already familiar with the story, but if you slow down and kind of start to enter into it, this just feels weird, doesn't it? I mean, a house just filled with the sound of rushing wind and, and fiery tongues? Maybe you wonder, did this, did this really happen? Why did it happen? What's the point? Why have I never seen anything like this? Why does it happen anymore? Right? I mean, all kinds of questions come to mind. And I think with those questions in mind, there there are two things we need to understand about the book of Acts. First of all, we need to understand Acts is really a transitional book. Right? Acts tells the story of of this unique season in the history of what God is doing, in the history of his plan of restoration and renewal. It tells the, this unique season that launches the beginning of the church. And so this includes not to be repeated events. For instance, last week you look at, we looked at chapter one and right in there, in, there in essence is the reconstitution of the, the 12 apostles. That's not going to happen again. So there, there are moments in Acts because of the uniqueness of this time in the biblical storyline. These are just not to be repeated events. So we need to understand this is a transitional book. But even having said that, there's still a dimension in which Acts is what you might call a programmatic book. That is, it has ongoing implications through time in an ongoing way for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do just over a few moments is, on the one hand, let's just be honest with this kind of uniqueness of this moment, even the weirdness of this moment. Let's just acknowledge that. But even as we kind of work through through this story, let's be open to the fact that there really are some ongoing implications. And in a few moments, I'll get to that. Two ongoing implications that really have a bearing for you and me despite what appears to be a very unusual story. So let's continue looking at uh, this story and let's do it by paying attention to two of the details that we just saw, right? There's this the sound of this mighty wind. And I, I even wonder if it was such that there, you know, that you just felt it physically. And then there were these tongues of fire. Now, in talking about these unusual details, here's what you need to understand. First of all, I think it's important to understand in Scripture 
Wind is emblematic of God's spirit, his life-giving presence. Likewise, in the Bible, the imagery of fire is associated with God's presence. Right? Think about Moses in the burning bush as he is commissioned, as Moses encounters the presence of God. Think about God coming down on Mount Sinai. In Exodus, we're told that he comes in fire. And so these very unusual elements that really strike us as odd are actually emblematic of the powerful coming of God's presence. And in a unique way, they communicate the reality that God is coming to his people through his spirit. Now there's, I think, one other dimension to pay attention to as we get started to what's going on. One other dimension that we need to realize. And that is this. I think this this very unusual event actually sets the stage for what we will see happen later in the book. Now, let me explain that. Okay, so we read a little farther in, in the book of Acts, right? We're, we're in Acts chapter 2. This really is the beginning of the church in Jerusalem. And we read a little farther. This church continues to grow. We'll see that as we go through the book. And then there's persecution. And so these Christians in Jerusalem are forced to scatter. But as they scatter, they're, they're taking the story of Jesus with them. And as they take the story of Jesus with them, some people in some very surprising places become followers of Jesus. So we get to Acts chapter 8, and word gets back to the church in Jerusalem. They're actually people in Samaria, right? Those other people. They're people in Samaria that have believed the message of Jesus Christ. And so the apostles say, we've got to investigate this. So they send Peter and John. So they send Peter and John to check this out, and we don't know exactly what happens, but something in Acts 8 happens in a way similar to what happens in Acts chapter 2. And then we read a little farther, right? And this message of Jesus is continuing to spread and it's ultimately going to break all sorts of boundaries. And we get to Acts chapter 10 and there's this Gentile, a Roman by the name of Cornelius, and Peter is in his house explaining the message of Jesus. And again, something unusual happens in terms of the coming of the Spirit, which I think in Peter's mind reminds him of what happened in Acts chapter 2. So you have this dramatic, unusual event in Acts chapter 2, then something similar with the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, and then something similar with a Gentile in Acts chapter 10. And what we are ultimately witnessing is is exactly what Jesus promised in Acts 1-8, right? I'm going to send you my spirit. You're going to be my witnesses. And this this message is actually going to move across boundaries from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, which means the Gentile world. And as a result of having experienced these different events, Peter... We'll get up in Acts chapter 15 in in what is really kind of a a leadership council in Jerusalem. And he will say the most amazing thing. He will say, you know, these other people, 
the people that we thought were outsiders, they have received the Spirit just like we have. And so this very unusual event in Acts chapter 2 is actually setting the stage for the amazing work of the spread of the gospel across geographic and ethnic boundaries that we see in the ongoing storyline of this book. Now ultimately, what we're seeing here is that Jesus' promises are coming to pass. This is what he said would happen. But likewise, we need to see Acts chapter 2 as as a fulfillment of a promise is actually rooted more deeply in the pages of the Old Testament. Once again, remember what happens, right? The Spirit comes and and all of a sudden these people begin communicating in dialects that come from all over the world and And people from all over the world have gathered and they're confused because they're hearing the message proclaimed in in their own dialect. Now, interestingly, my guess is most of the people at Jerusalem on this day would nonetheless speak either Aramaic or Greek. But now they're hearing the message in their own regional language, their own regional time. And all of this then leads to Peter getting up and communicating in a sermon, let me explain to you guys what's going on. And Peter gets up, and what does he do? He begins by saying, what you're experiencing, you know, know, apparently some just kind of looked around and thought, well, these people are drunk, right? I mean, if I hear somebody speaking in a language that I don't understand, Maybe they just sound like they've had too much to drink and it's early in the morning. That's a little crazy, but maybe that's what happened. And Peter says, no, that's not what happened. What you are experiencing is the fulfillment of promises rooted in the Old Testament. So let's continue in Acts chapter 2. Peter says, no, you know, it's not that people are getting drunk. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Peter's saying, look, I know this may look crazy to you. And I know you may think we're just ignorant fishermen from Galilee, but don't you remember, don't you remember what God promised? These amazing promises in in our Bible are now coming to pass. We're now in these last days, and God has promised to send his spirit. And one of the fascinating things is as you read the different promises in the Old Testament, one of the themes that you will encounter about this new work that God is going to do, there's this sense in which God's going to bring people back together. God is going to bring people in from exile. And Luke communicates the story of Pentecost to say that is just what's happening because Luke highlights where people who were hearing this message were from. And when you chart that out, here's what you get. There were people from the north, from the south, (laughs) from the east and from the west gathered in Jerusalem. And now God is, through the work of his spirit, he's 
He's bringing these people back together. This is the new thing that he had promised. But as Peter continues, he wants to be clear. And, and it's kind of, a, it's, 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 it's the, the flow of this sermon is just really fascinating. Because on the one hand, he says, look, I want you to understand all that is happening here this day. All of this is the, this is the fulfillment of these Old Testament promises. But to understand how these promises are being fulfilled, you must ultimately look to the person of Jesus Christ. Because all of this is being fulfilled through what God has done through his anointed one, his Messiah. So as the sermon continues, Peter focuses on the person and work of Jesus. And he says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Now remember, this isn't that far from the crucifixion. And most likely, some of the people in this crowd were also witnesses to that event. And Peter says, look, I I know you didn't believe this. I know you had questions then. But you need to remember, you need to understand that Jesus of Nazareth was actually Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And he was accredited by God through the things that he did. And then Peter continues and ultimately says this, and he was accredited through the resurrection. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And notice kind of the Trinitarian nature of God's work as Peter has described it, right? Jesus has been raised from the dead in triumph and victory. He has ascended and now seats, sits and rules from the right hand of the Father and has sent his spirit to continue his mission. And Peter says, all that you're experiencing as odd and surprising as it is this day, all of that comes from the fact that God is fulfilling his promises through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying this. What you are witnessing, this isn't some magic trick. This isn't some raw display of power. This isn't something that is unexpected. This is the fulfillment of God's promises rooted in the work of Jesus the Messiah who has been raised from the dead and now rules from the right hand of God. And Peter says, this Jesus is now both Lord and Christ. And all that you're experiencing flows from that truth. Now, at this point, you might be saying, okay, George, I get it, right? Okay, so Pentecost, it's the start of the church. It's the fulfillment of these promises. It's the fulfillment of the words of Jesus. I get it. 
but George, what exactly does this have to do with me? This is still weird, right? I've never been in a house where the rooms shook with the sound of a mighty wind. I've never, I've never seen flaming tongues, and I don't think I ever will. So, George, what, what exactly does this have to do with me? Well, as I said a moment ago, you know, we have to, we have to deal with these scenes and acts as, as, as part of the unique history of this moment. But nonetheless, despite kind of the surprising elements of this story, believe it or not, I, I want to share just two implications of this scene. Implications that actually affect your life and my life right now. And to do that, I, I want to go back to a detail that we encounter in verse 1. And again, that detail is this. This was the feast of Pentecost. Now let's pay attention to that for a moment. Because there are certain themes associated with Pentecost. On the one hand, it's important to understand that the theme of Pentecost had a historical connection. And there was, there was a way in the annual Jewish calendar that the different feasts and festivals of the year in essence took the nation through critical moments in their history. And along those lines, Pentecost was associated with God's coming to his people on the mountain of Sinai. And so really one of the implications of Pentecost for us is Pentecost represents the coming of God's presence. Right, it was on the mountain that God came down to give his people the law. It was on the mountain that God came down and Moses experienced his presence. It was on the mountain that God came down and ultimately creates a new nation, a new people. It was the coming of God's presence in a dramatic way. And now many years later, on Pentecost, which was a time to remember that reality. God's presence comes again. God's spirit comes to be with his people. God's spirit comes to, in essence, form a new people, to form a new community to form his church to begin a new work and even as God's presence came on the mountain God's spirit now comes on his people and interestingly as you pay attention to that reality in Acts chapter 2 commentators have noticed that there's certain details in this chapter that link Acts chapter 2 to the theme of tabernacle and temple and other parts of the Bible. Remember in the Old Testament, in the storyline of Israel, it was in the tabernacle and then the, then the temple where God's spirit, God's presence dwelt. But now with the coming of his spirit, his presence is in his people. His presence is in his church. 
As one author has said, we are now the mobile temples sent into the world. Now, if if you're a follower of Christ, my guess is you've kind of heard that before, right? God's spirit now dwells in us. God's presence has come to us. I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know, but maybe the question is, am, am, I, am I really living with an understanding of that reality, right? Am I really living with an awareness that God's Spirit is in me and desires to be at work in me and through me? Yesterday, I was on a Zoom call, and one of the people in that call was a long-term friend, and Our friendship actually goes back to the season when both of us were graduate students in England. And in the course of the conversation, uh, I made reference to the death of Queen Elizabeth II. And that reference led to us reminiscing about a particular experience that one of his sons once had with the queen. When we were living there as students, uh, there was a particular time when the queen came to our community, to Cambridge, for an official visit. And, and my friend's wife decided she was going to take their young son, who at the time was three or four. They were going to go down to the train station to, right, to see the arrival of the queen. So they did that, and at one point she kind of puts their little son on her shoulders, and they kind of move their way into the crowd, and she says, we ended up standing behind a group of elementary school students, or as they would say, primary school students. And the queen arrived, and as she came out of the train station, she kind of began working her way along the line of the crowd. And as my friends tell the story, they said, it was very clear that these young elementary school students had been educated and instructed as to how they are to behave in the presence of the queen. But my friends had neglected to have a similar conversation with their young son. After all, we're all American, right? We don't, we don't think in those terms. So here's mom standing with their young three- or four-year-old son, and the queen is making her way down the line. And the queen gets right in front of of where their group is standing. And their little four-year-old blurts out, Hey, queenie, I like your hat. And he wasn't done. Because right about that time, her limousine pulls up, right, with the royal standard. And seeing that, he has more to say. (laughs) Hey, Queenie, I like your fancy car. (laughs) Of course, at this point, my my friend's wife, she's just ready to just melt back into into the crowd. And fortunately, the queen was very gracious. She smiled, she nodded, and kept moving, and perhaps thought to herself, those crazy Americans. I don't know. You know, that, that, it's, it's a fun story, and we, we laughed on the Zoom call when, when he shared that story again. And, you know, it's one, thing, it's, one thing for, it's one thing for a little child to lack awareness in, in terms of being in the presence of royalty. But, you know, it's, it's really not a laughing matter 
So you and me as followers of Jesus, to lack awareness that we truly are in God's presence. You see, tragically, I think for some believers, we kind of, we operate with this kind of mindset, this kind of mentality. Well, yeah, the God thing, that's kind of what I do on Sunday, right? I come to a church like this, I come to a service like this, and people explain the Bible to me, we pray, and that's great. And, you know, I put my kids in programming on Sundays or Wednesdays so they can hear a similar kind of message, and, and that's great. And then, then I walk out and by the time I hit the lobby, it's like my mind's already somewhere else and I'm just kind of off with my week. As if, you know, all God does is just really he dwells in this room and so I come on a Sunday to encounter him and then I say goodbye and I'll come next Sunday. But you see, the coming of Pentecost involves the coming of God's presence. I mean, think about Moses' experience when he encountered God on the mountain and asked to, you know, experience God's presence. And what happens? He experiences God as the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, yet he does not yet the guilty go unpunished. In other words, he encounters God in the reality of his love and justice. And now the Spirit has come so that we too can live in God's presence. We can live in light of God's justice because as followers of Jesus, we have been justified through his work on our behalf. And now we are the recipients of his love and his covenantal faithfulness. And see, with the coming of God's presence, part part of what the Spirit wants to do in your life as a believer is to equip and empower you to live in the truth of who God is. And who you are in light of him. And for some of us, may, maybe you're here today and it's, it, it's like I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm kind of bound up in mistakes of my past. And, and the weight of guilt of, of some things that have happened in my life that, that I can't go back and undo. And I'm just carrying, I'm carrying around this weight. Maybe you're here and, and you're, there's a sense in which you're bound up with just frustrations about yourself, ways it feels like you're stuck, you know, in different dimensions of your life, and it just feels like there's, there's no hope, there's no way to make progress. And maybe it just, maybe it just kind of robs you of motivation. Maybe there's a real sense in which right now you're, you're, really, <laughs> you're not really living life. You're just existing. You're kind of just drifting through life. And see, it's the coming of God's presence. What, for some of you right now, what the Spirit is seeking to do is just to break those strongholds so that you can live in the truth.
Yes, I know there are things you can't go back and undo, but you, you're God's child. And he loves you and will be faithful to you. I know there, there may be places in your life where it just feels like you're stuck right now and it, kind of, it may even be just robbing you of your energy and motivation as if, as if there's nothing that can take place. But he wants you to know, I, I'm with you. And these people are with you. You're not alone in this. This doesn't have to be a dead end. And you see that the Spirit comes as God's presence (laughs) just so that we can live in the reality of who God is. There's one other thing very quickly that, that I want you to notice about the Spirit. A second implication is that is this. Not only the, the, is the Spirit in Pentecost the coming of God's presence, the, the work of the Spirit in Pentecost is also the coming of the future. And here's why I say that. I told you a moment ago that, that Pentecost had historical associations, right? There was a real sense in which the great festivals of Israel reminded the people of the story arc of their past. But even as the even as the festivals had a historical connection, they also had an agricultural connection. That is, they, they occurred at different times during the agricultural seasons. And Pentecost occurred at a time that was often the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Pentecost was connected in Scripture with the, the idea of first fruits, that is, the first part of the harvest, And so this was to be a time when we, at the beginning of the harvest, we thanked God for his provision. We thanked God for his blessing. And we looked forward with anticipation to the reality that there was more to come. And so in a real sense, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost is the coming of the future. The coming of the Spirit at Pentecost is the beginning of what will ultimately be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. It's just the beginning, but the the reality is that future is already underway through the work of the Spirit. You know, and one one of the great things about our region is we're kind of in the middle now of what apple picking season, and my guess is some of you probably have already done that. Maybe some of you will do that, you know, different times of... This season of the year, different varieties are now becoming ready for harvest. And maybe you've got a favorite variety, Red Delicious, Envy, you know, or whatever, whatever your favorite variety is. And there's, there's a place you go and you want to get out there early. You want to have your choice of getting those apples. So you find yourself in this orchard. You, maybe you've got a little basket and, you know, you're, you're kind of going down the rows. You're being selective and you know, choosing uh, just apples that really catch your eye. And maybe as you fill up your basket, maybe there's that moment where you, oh, you just grab one and you just take a bite. Oh my goodness. And there's, you know, there's just something about a fresh piece of fruit and it's, you know, it's crispy, it's juicy. You take that bite, maybe there's a little bit of juice just dripping down your chin. And you just got the sense of the things you're going to do. And the reality is this, this is just the beginning. 
The Apostle Paul says that (laughs) the coming of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, is God's down payment on what he's doing. It's It's just the beginning. And so... One of the implications for us, for me, of this amazing, unusual story is simply the truth that as a follower of Jesus, because of the work of the Spirit, we're now really people of the future. We're people whose identities, whose values, whose priorities are shaped by what God is ultimately doing. And here's kind of a practical reason why I think this matters. If we, if we took time to go around the room, here's something I think we would discover in most of our lives. If most of us were honest, in your current season of life, there are certain factors that for you are sources of complexity or sources of uncertainty, Right? So, for instance, in some of our families, right, some of your parents, you've got kids in middle school or high school, and there are all these uncertainties and questions about what's next or how they're doing, how do I build into them. For some of us, there's some complexity in relating to our parents or some tension in relating to our parents. For others of us, maybe we're in a season right now where there's just some complexity and uncertainty in our work. Our work's gotten complicated or, you know, things have really been different after COVID. There are more people working remotely and, and maybe that's become a challenge or it's just different and I'm trying to get used to it. And, you know, there's stressors in relationships. I was in a conversation this week and the guy just out of the blue asked me this question. He said, do you ever get tired of people? I answered a question with a question. That's what Jesus always did, right? I said, um, I said, where's that coming from? And then I said, are you having some issues with a coworker or a client? <laughs> and he just smiled and changed the conversation. That's, you know, kind of enough said. Maybe that's where you're at, right? And I think for others of us, maybe there's some financial uncertainty, right? I mean, the market's been crazy this year, and your retirement isn't unfolding the way you've expected, so you're having to rethink that. So I think all of us would acknowledge certain elements of uncertainty and complexity in our lives. And the crazy thing is we sometimes live with the delusion that if I only get to the next season, if I only get over this hump, all of those things will disappear. Only to discover that when I turn that next corner, when I reach that next milestone, there are new complexities and new uncertainties on the other side. And I say that to say this. If you're not careful... There are complexities and uncertainties in your life right now that will become all-consuming. If you're not careful, there are complexities and uncertainties in your life right now that can drain you of your emotional energy. They can become all-consuming so that it's hard for you to see anything else. They can become so heavy that even some of the positive things going on around you, you just, you have blinders to that because these things are all consuming. And interestingly, in Romans chapter 8, Paul uses this fascinating imagery where he talks about creation groaning. It's rather unusual in imagery, but I think among other things, Paul's getting at the fact, you know what, we live in a world that is not as it's supposed to be. 
Even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't even have a concept of sin, I think you understand the results of that. We live in a world that is brokenness, and, and that, brokenness, that brokenness often contributes to this uncertainty and this complexity that you and I experience. And Paul says as believers, we feel that weight as well. It's not as if we live above it and pretend it's not there. No, he says, he said, we groan as well. But then he says this, but we do so with hope. That is, we encounter these obstacles and uncertainties, and we feel the weight of them, but they don't become all-consuming because we have hope. And he says, that hope is rooted in what? It's rooted in the fact that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We're people of the future. And see, to understand, when I understand this ancient story, which is not to be repeated and has so many crazy elements, when I understand it, I still understand there's this ongoing reality. That because of the gift of the Spirit, I've been, I've been drawn into the future. And who I am is now shaped by this new work that God is doing. Who, who I am is now shaped by the values of what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. Now, with that in mind, let me just close with this. Ultimately, as, Paul, as, as Peter explains this, he says, this amazing event makes a claim on your life. It makes a summons on your life. You get to the end of the sermon and people are kind of wrestling, okay, oh my goodness, if this is what's happening, what do we do? And Peter says, look, this promise of this spirit, this promise that's being fulfilled, this is for you. And he says, first of all, with it comes the summons to commit your life to Jesus. He says, you need to repent. You need to acknowledge your need for him. You need to turn and reorient your life. And maybe if you're here this morning and you've never started this journey, this is... This is the invitation. This is the summons that this scene is making on your life right now to begin the journey of following in Jesus where you receive his gift of the Spirit. But I think also for those of us who have started this journey, this story, it's a summons to mission. It's a summons to realize that through the gift of the Spirit, we've been brought into this bigger story where God is empowering us to be part of what he's doing. So what should that look like in my life? This is one of the reasons why in a couple of weeks we're going to be going out in our community, and I would encourage you to be a part and figure out how you can participate in our Beyond the Wall Sunday because we've been drawn into mission. This is one of the reasons why, if you didn't pick up one of the, you know, these booklets where we're just talking about what are some things you can do to live as part of the mission, I, I want to challenge you to pray about that, even as we're going through the book of Acts, because the coming of the Spirit is drawing us into mission. Peter says this, this promise applies to you. Are you living in light of it.
Let's pray. Gracious God, as we come to this amazing story, this fascinating story, this not-to-be-repeated story in the pages of Scripture, may we also see its ongoing implications. Father, I pray that we would understand that the, the work of the Spirit, even now, is drawing us to you. And for some of us, that may mean taking that first step of putting our faith, our trust in you and beginning the journey. For those of us who've already started that journey, it's, it's a summons into mission because we're people of the future. Father, may we hear that invitation clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to thank you for joining us this morning, and I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to be here at the front and available. And if, if we can pray with you, even if you're kind of wrestling with what, is, what does it look like for me to live in light of the Spirit's work, we'd love to have that conversation with you. And now as you go, will you hear Peter's challenge again when he looks at you and says, this promise of the Spirit is to you. May we go as those who live in light of that promise. Amen.